You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Amen. You may be seated. Would you please bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, um, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me this morning. I pray that the words of this message would be yours and not my own. Lord, I pray that you would open up the hearts to receive your word today. Lord, we bring you praise and glory, for you are worthy of it. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone, and Merry Christmas. For those who do not know me, uh, I am Pastor Marty, and um, this is our second week in our Advent series, which is entitled, We Have Seen His Glory, which is taken from John 1.14, which we will be going through all of this month. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, last week, Pastor Jake got us started in this series by focusing on the beginning of this verse, which said, The Word became flesh. And his message was on Jesus' full divinity and humanity, how Jesus was fully God and yet fully man. Now this week, we are moving on to the second phrase in the verse. The word dwelt among us. And this is the same idea that we see in Matthew 1.23, which was read earlier. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we're going to be spending our time today looking into that phrase, God with us. As is always the case when I preach, um, I've been thinking a lot about this idea in the past week. Emmanuel, God with us. And thinking about what does this really mean that God is with us? And Equally as important, what effect does it actually have on my life? Is it just a nice concept that we think about at Christmas time and that we sing about in songs like the one we just sang? Um, Does it change my life at all to know that God is with us? Because sometimes we can know that a truth but we can know true things about God, but they have little effect on us in our day-to-day lives. So I don't want that to be the case this morning, especially with something as incredible as God with us. 
So that's what I've been thinking about as I've been contemplating this sermon. And to be honest, the past few weeks at the Lindstrom household have had some uh, challenges to it. You've probably heard that there is sickness going around, and we got to experience that firsthand. Uh, We had the flu or whatever it was, one by one, go through all five of us in the family. And so we were experiencing high fevers, runny noses, body aches, and so much coughing. I'm actually amazed at how much my children are able to cough day and night. But I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that our suffering in this way was outrageous. As far as suffering goes, it really was pretty light. But whether it was heavy or it was light, it was still, indeed, a large stressor for our family. In addition to this, I tend to be a very slow sermon writer. It seems that whenever I write a sermon, inevitably I hit a wall at some point where I think to myself, I have no idea what I'm going to say. And to be real with you all, this also stresses me out. Now, I'm willing to bet that at this time of year, or any time of year, really, I'm not the only person here who's been going through something stressful recently. In fact, I know I'm not, because I've talked to many of you. I know that many of you are in the midst of some pretty severe trials in your life right now. Some of you are facing financial stress. Some of you are facing marital stress, stress at work, stress with in-laws. Maybe you have a sick family member of your own. Parenting stress, busy stress, or I know that it is finals time at school right now. There's stress going on with that too. There's plenty of stress to go around, and that's certainly not contained to just this time of year. And how do we respond when we get stressed? Well, for a lot of us, we just start working harder. We find new solutions to our problems and continue to find more and more solutions working harder. We start new routines. We figure out a new communication method in our family. Or maybe for you, you don't start working harder. You just break down. Under the weight of it, you get discouraged, down, depressed, or just pessimistic. The stressful times in life are many. We will all face them. And sadly, all too often, I think that a lot of us face them just like the children of the world do. We measure the size of our problems. We say, oh, my problem is about this big. My ability to handle it is about this big or this big. And that will determine whether we feel confident in our situation or whether we panic. We strive to overcome on our own. 
Now, for a lot of us, we'll still say a prayer, which is good when we are feeling stressed, when we're feeling overwhelmed, we should pray. But often, the posture of our heart is unchanged. We go through the stresses, or the good times in life for that matter, as if we were alone. We forget Emmanuel, that God is with us. But if God is with us, our experience should be nothing like the world. If God, the greatest power in all of existence, is with us, this should change everything. What greater confidence can we be given that God is with us? So that's the big point of my message this morning. Because of Emmanuel, we can have full confidence in all of life's stress. Because God is with us, we can have full confidence in all of life's stress. I want to spend our time digging into this truth today. And like I mentioned, not just saying it as knowledge, but how can it truly affect us today, the truth of Emmanuel? But before we get into that point directly, I think we need to step back for a moment and start by asking an important foundational question, which is, how is God with us? This is actually one of the first questions that I pondered when I was thinking about this message. Because I think we all know God is everywhere, right? That's one of his main godly attributes. It's called omnipresence. God is everywhere at the same time. David writes about this in Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. This passage was written long before Jesus was born. And already, even before Jesus came as Emmanuel, it certainly seems like God was with David. In fact, he couldn't get away from it. There was no place that he could run to be away from God. So it seems that before Jesus came as Emmanuel, God was already with us. However, there is a difference between God's omnipresence that fills every atom of the universe and God's manifest presence when he actively comes and makes his presence tangible with us. This happened in Genesis 3 when God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. It happened in the Exodus at the burning bush. It happened when the Lord's presence came and filled the tabernacle and later the temple. And then, in the most extraordinary way, it happened 
roughly 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ was born in a stable, surrounded by shepherds and farm animals. When Jesus came to earth as a man, he was with humanity in a real physical sense. They could literally see him. They could literally hear him and touch him. John says in 1 John 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Isn't that incredible that Jesus, God Almighty, was literally with John and the disciples? They could literally praise him as Emmanuel, God with them. But Jesus didn't stay in the flesh. After his death and resurrection, Jesus ascended back to his father's side, where he remains today. So if Jesus is not here right now walking around with us for us to see, hear, and touch, how can he still be Emmanuel for us today? Is it the same as it was in the Old Testament? That God is simply everywhere, so of course that he's with us? Well, thankfully, Jesus didn't leave us to wonder about this question. Look with me, if you will, at John chapter 14. We'll start in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus says that he will not leave us as orphans. He didn't come to earth to accomplish his mission and then abandon us on our own. If that would be the case, there would be no hope for us in our mission to accomplish the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations. But after giving this Great Commission, in Matthew 28, Jesus gives these final words, the final words in the book of Matthew. Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. What amazing words to leave us with. I am with you always. The physical body of Christ may have left us, but the Spirit of God is with us forever, living within us. 
And how do we receive the Spirit? How do we get this privilege of Emmanuel with us? He dwells within each and every one of his children. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. All you have to do is believe in him. Receiving him as Lord and Savior of your life, and God, God Almighty, will make his home within you. That's what Emmanuel means for us today. God is not just with us because God is everywhere. God is with us because he is inside of us. His tangible presence is real right here with us. So I wanted to start with that to understand how is Jesus here. But now let's move back to my point for our message today. Because of Emmanuel, we can have full confidence in all of life's stress. Now, when I wrote that, I realized that it was a pretty big statement that I'm making right there. Full confidence. It sounds a little unrealistic, actually. So I want to take a little time to look into this statement. And to do so, will you again turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to start in verses 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is an amazing truth. If God is for us. Well, first of all, is this true? Is God actually with us? Like, we've established that God is with us, but is he for us? For those who are children of God, for those who have the spirit of God living inside of you, who have decided to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the answer is a resounding yes. Yes, God is for us. The Lord of lords and the King of kings is on our side. Or rather, we are on his side. And this is very good news. Because this is not our default position. Every one of us, by nature, is an enemy of God. In your sin, God is against you. That's a sobering fact when we consider the magnitude and fear of who God is. That's a sobering fact upon finishing a series in Exodus where we saw the amazing power and awe and fear of our Lord. By nature, we are objects of wrath, but not so for those who are in Christ. For those with whom God dwells, we are no longer enemies of God, for God is for us. Like a good father is for his children, he is for us. He doesn't hold our sins against us. When God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. 
he sees his son. God is with us and God is for us. And therefore, who can be against us? Who can be against us? Paul doesn't give an answer to that question in Romans 8 because the answer is so painfully obvious. No one. No enemy can stand against us when God is with us. For anyone who comes against us is likewise coming against God. And no enemy can defeat God. No stressor can overcome his plan. No man, no government, no disease, no lie, nothing can ever undo the inevitable victory of our God who is with us. To give an illustration, I want you to imagine a kindergartner going to school. And he's out on the playground. And on that playground, this little five-year-old is surrounded by some scary four-year-old, fourth graders. They're a lot bigger than he is. And it's a pretty intimidating place to be for that kindergartner. But imagine that that kindergartner has come to school with his father. And now imagine that his father just happens to be a six-foot-five Navy SEAL in uniform, holding that child's hand. Does that change the scenario a little bit in your mind? Do you think that that kindergarten child has anything to worry about from those scary fourth-grade boys? I don't think so. This is the same logic that Paul is making with his readers. We have someone infinitely greater than a Navy SEAL with us, holding our hand. We have God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, the ultimate power in all of existence on our side. If that God is with us, who can be against us? No one. If that God is with us, what are we so stressed out about? O ye of little faith, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, will he not also much more clothe you? If God did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, Will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God is with us, and God is for us. And because of this, we can have confidence in all of life. All of life. Whatever you are going through. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I can say here from the pulpit that I can teach this truth with full confidence because of what it says in Scripture. I genuinely believe these words that I'm saying. And yet, to be honest, I struggle to believe it. I often struggle to truly have confidence in the knowledge that God is with me. And let me tell you a little bit about how my 
somewhat cynical mind can think. See, I know that God is with me, but I also know that life is really hard. I know that God, in his sovereign wisdom, he will ordain things for my life that are painful. Becoming a Christian is no escape from pain. I know that it may be the will of God that I suffer. And I don't like to suffer. So I think it's natural for us to ask the question, how am I supposed to have confidence that God is with me when sometimes God's will was for Paul to be beaten and imprisoned and worse? How can I be confident in God's will when sometimes God's will was for Stephen to be stoned to death? That it was God's will for Peter to be imprisoned and also beaten. And tradition says that he was crucified upside down on a cross. How can I have confidence when I know that God's will for John was that he was banished? What does it mean that none can be against me when the world seems to be against us on every side? Well, let's talk about that. Look again at Romans chapter 8, and this time starting at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Only five verses after saying that no one can be against us, Paul says that we are being killed all day long and that we are like sheep to be slaughtered. But the point is this. Throughout all these trials, throughout the distress, the persecution, the famine, the nakedness, the danger, the sword, throughout all these things, God is walking with us in the battle. God didn't say that he keep us from all danger. He didn't say he'd remove all stress-inducing things from our lives. That's not going to happen. But what did he say? He said that even through all these things, his love remains. He is with us. He has not forsaken us. He is Emmanuel. Do you trust him enough to say that that is enough?
Do you trust God enough to say, whatever hardship may come, I can be confident because I know that I am never alone, for God is with me. Do you trust him enough to say, not my will, but yours be done, because I know that you love me and that you are with me and that is all I need? Do you have that kind of faith? This is an amazing faith. Let me tell you what this kind of faith can do. This is the type of faith that brings missionaries to some of the hardest places in the world because they know that God is with them. These are people like John Payton in 1858 who went to the New Hebrides and he was told you'll be eaten by cannibals. Do you know what? That wasn't far-fetched from the possibility for where he was going. But he still went. He knew the danger, and he went, for he knew that God was with him. This is the faith that brought St. Patrick back to Ireland to share the gospel with the people who had once captured him and forced him into slavery. He returned because he knew that God was with him. This is the faith that after eight and a half years spent in a torture prison, upon his release, Richard Wormbrand continued to preach the word of God behind the Iron Curtain, only to be arrested and tortured again. He knew that God was with him. This is the faith of Perpetua in the third century who refused to deny Christ so to be released from prison. She was sent to the arena where she was attacked by wild animals before finally being slain by the sword in front of a crowd of spectators. She knew that God was with her. One of my favorite quotes comes from Hudson Taylor. I quoted this verse. It's not a verse. I quoted this saying the day I became a pastor here at River City. All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. My friends, this is the confidence that we can have in Christ. That God is with us. What can man do to us? What can Satan do to us? If God is great enough to handle Satan and all the forces of hell, how much more will God take care of us in our financial stress, in our family sickness, in whatever else is going on in your life. We can have full confidence in life knowing that God is with us. Now I want to take a minute here and look at what does this actually mean for us practically. To have confidence in the midst of hardship. 
Because I want to make it really clear what I'm saying here and what I'm not saying here. Because I think this actually can be confusing. I told you at the beginning of my message that my family was sick a couple weeks ago. What if they had been even more sick? This is actually one of my biggest fears, that my family gets some sort of terrible disease. What would it look like in this scenario to have confidence knowing that God is with us? Does God with us mean that I should just somehow be unfazed by hardship? Does it mean that we act as if everything's fine, God is with us, I have no problems? No, this is not the message that I'm giving this morning. This is not the biblical example that we see at all. Grief is not unbiblical. Having such a great concern for your family that you are in anguish yourself when they suffer is not a sin. Falling on your face, crying out to God in desperate prayer is not a sin. But if that's the case, what on earth does it mean to be confident in the Lord? What does it really mean to have confidence in all of life's stresses? Well, I think it means two things. First, being being confident in the Lord means that even in our stress, there is trust. It means that while I am crying out, Lord, help me, I'm also believing that the Lord will indeed help me. Confidence in the Lord doesn't say, I can't do this anymore. It doesn't say, this is hopeless. It doesn't say, I'm never going to be able to get over this. Nothing is hopeless because the Lord is with us. We don't just resign ourselves to say that, well, we have heaven to look forward to. That is true. We do have heaven to look forward to. And we can rejoice in that, that one day the Lord will restore all things to perfection. But our hope is not simply in the hope of heaven someday. We trust that God will give us the grace we need for today. We trust that God will give us the grace that we need for tomorrow. The second thing it means to be confident in the Lord is that we will remain obedient even in our stress. What is Satan's desire for us in our stress? It is that we reject God, that we no longer trust him, and simply look out for ourselves. When we are stressed, we are tempted to sin all the more. We are tempted to hold on to bitterness. We are tempted to be short with our spouses. We are tempted to be selfish in any number of ways. But that sort of thinking, it forgets that God is with us and that he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear, but will always provide a way out. 
This is what we see in the great heroes of the Bible. The Apostle Paul had reasons to be stressed, possibly every single day of his ministry. He grieved his stress to the point that he despaired of even life itself, he writes in 2 Corinthians 1. But he didn't give up. He didn't lose hope. And he didn't use his suffering as a reason to sin. The example of Paul's life was one who obeyed in confidence, knowing that God was with him. So Christian confidence, it is not just that we are naive to hardship. We don't lose the capacity to be sad when we're stressed. But Christian confidence means that we always remember that God is with us that God is good, and that God is for us, and therefore, who can be against us? I don't say these things today because they're easy. Having full confidence that God is with us is not easy. You probably won't go out from here after hearing this message today and have unbroken confidence in every problem that comes up this week. But our faith is like a muscle, and muscles grow through hardship. I think that's what James is talking about in James 1.3, when he says that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. I think steadfastness is the maturing of our faith. It happens through hardship. But hardship does not have to be the only place where we exercise our faith. We can meditate on the fact that God is with us. Even today, let that have an effect on you. Whatever your experience today, remember, God is with you. Say it to yourself. Remind yourself every day, even every hour. Remember, God is with me. God is with me. 2,000 years ago, God's manifest presence came here to humanity on earth. We sing about Emmanuel. We sing about the gift of God that saves people from Satan's tyranny. Now Christ is ascended, and Emmanuel is in us. Emmanuel is in his church. May the Lord give us eyes to see his presence here and the confidence to walk by faith in all of life's stresses. I want to close this morning by reading for you a poem written by Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon lived in the 1800s, and therefore uh, he wrote in somewhat of an old-fashioned style. So I'll try to read somewhat slow so that we can catch everything that he says. And if there's any musicians out there, this would be a good one to put to music. I would love to hear that. When once I mourned a load of sin, when conscience felt a wound within, when all my works were thrown away, when on my knees I knelt to pray, 
Then blissful hour I remembered well. I learned thy love, Emmanuel. When storms of sorrow toss my soul, when waves of care around me roll, when comforts sink, when joys shall flee, when hopeless griefs shall gape for me, one word the tempest's rage shall quell, that word thy name, Emmanuel. When for the truth I suffer shame, when for foes pour scandal on my name, when cruel taunts and jeers abound, when bowls of Bashan gird me round, secure within thy tower I'll dwell, that tower thy grace, Emmanuel. When hell enraged lifts up her roar, when Satan stops my path before, when fiends rejoice and wait my end, when legion hosts their arrows send, fear not, my soul, but hurl at hell thy battle cry, Emmanuel. When down the hill of life I go, when o'er my feet death's waters flow, when in the deepening flood I sink, when friends stand weeping on the brink, I'll mingle with my last farewell, thy lovely name, Emmanuel. When tears are banished from mine eye, when fair worlds than these are nigh, when heaven shall fill my ravished sight, when I shall bathe in sweet delight, one joy, all joys, shall far excel to see thy face. Emmanuel. Would you please play, pray with me? Lord, you are Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, if God is with us, that changes everything. Lord, what comfort in knowing you are here with us, that you hold nothing against us. But as a father loves his children, so you love us. We thank you, Lord, for the confidence that you give. And I pray that you help us to trust you in the midst of whatever it is that comes, that we'd go in confidence, that we would be obedient, and we'd love you and complete the mission that you have for us. In Jesus' holy name, amen.